Outside the garden, mankind spirals into sin again and again. Will the new generation of humans chart a better course for humanity? Find out today on The Bible Brief. Last episode, we saw the story of humanity after the fall of mankind in the garden. We saw Cain murder his brother Abel, and we saw the birth of Seth, who replaced Abel as the offspring through whom the eventual seed of the woman would come, this future person who would defeat the serpent. Then we saw mankind spiral into sin until they were so bad that God reset the world with a flood. Yet God saved Noah and his family as a sort of reset of humanity. And God expresses a similar mandate to Noah and his sons that he gave to Adam and Eve. We left off our last episode with this echo of the garden. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So let's pick up the story where we left off. Upon leaving the ark, Noah makes a sacrifice to honor God, just like Abel did a few chapters earlier in the narrative. And we see God make a big promise to Noah and to all of creation. God promises in something called the Noahic Covenant, that he will not flood the earth again in judgment, and he gives the world a sign to demonstrate that he will not do it again. The rainbow. He says this, The bow will be in the clouds, and I will look at it and remember the permanent covenant between God and all the living creatures on earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and every creature on the earth. Now after this big promise, we see Noah plant a garden, a vineyard in fact, And in the course of time, Noah gets drunk, apparently very drunk, so drunk that he ends up totally out and totally naked in his tent. Now, this deliberately is supposed to remind you of something from earlier in the Bible. Do you remember anyone else who was naked in a garden? Anyway, the story continues. One of Noah's sons comes in and sees his father's nakedness, and instead of covering him up, he goes and tells his brothers. This was a wicked and ungodly thing to do. When Adam and Eve were naked, God covered them up with an animal skin. Noah's son, instead, decides to spread the news of Noah's nakedness in a shameful way. Noah's righteous two sons, however, refuse to look on their father and instead cover him up. Now when Noah wakes up, he learns what happened, and then invokes God to curse or bless his children and their descendants. He blesses his two sons who covered him up, but he curses his wicked son's son. At this point, I want to point out the cursed one's name here. This one's name was Canaan, the youngest of Noah's grandsons. Noah says this, Canaan is cursed. He will be the lowest of slaves to his brothers. While the narrative itself doesn't supply details of Canaan's involvement in his father's sin surrounding Noah's nakedness, there's at least some indication that he was either involved in his father's act or already showed a propensity to the same kinds of sins as his father which we may note may have been more than merely looking upon Noah's nakedness. As we've already seen and will continue to see, oftentimes the actions of a father are repeated in the actions of his son. In any case, we need to remember that the one who will carry a curse from here is Canaan. And you should recognize Canaan's name from our 10-step run-through. Remember, it's the land of Canaan that is ultimately the land promised to Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant, which we'll get to soon on this jog-through. The curse on Canaan and his descendants by association is a subtext through much of the remainder of the Old Testament. It's the descendants of Canaan that cause so much trouble for the Israelite nation as the narrative moves forward. Okay, 
So after this episode of blessing and cursing, after this nakedness event of Noah, we end up in a similar place as before the flood. We see all of Noah's offspring begin to repopulate the earth, and chapter 10 of Genesis records genealogies of each of Noah's sons until we get to chapter 11. Chapter 11 contains a significant event involving a city, a tower, and a language. This is many years after the flood. The whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. As people migrated from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let us make oven-fired bricks. They used brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let's make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered throughout the earth. I'll briefly stop here to note that the people are interested in honoring themselves and not God. They're building a monument to human achievement, and they are disobeying God by not filling the earth, which was part of God's mandate from the beginning. God had said to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But instead, they are trying to concentrate in a particular place to avoid being scattered across the earth. Okay, back to the story. Then the Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that the humans were building. The Lord said, If they have begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, it is called Babylon, for there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them throughout the earth. This narrative introduces a city that we will come to know very well over the course of the Bible story. Sometimes this city is called Babel, but usually in the Bible, it's called Babylon. And I want to note a few things about this city. First, the city is a place of human achievement and human uplifting. You might call it the first city celebrating secularism and human power. We see the humans desiring something and having the ability to get that thing. Second, in this narrative, we see a view of the city from heaven. God sees that their plans will succeed, but he knows that their result will not be good. Human attempts at grasping what appears good, whether it's the fruit of the tree in the garden or building a city to unify humanity, always, in the end, produces bad outcomes. And the bad outcomes are the result of missing the true good that God provides as a gift. We humans always tend to think that God is holding out on us, tending to be blind to all the ways that God's provided for us and wants us to walk with Him in His provision. These tower builders were blind in this way. Finally, God saw the disobedience of the people. He saw the pride of the people who, it says, wanted to make a name for themselves. And He saw the atheism of the people wanting to honor themselves and exclude God. So God judges the endeavor. While the people desired a unified utopia without God, instead, God scatters them, differentiates their languages, and causes them to abandon their project. Babylon, the proud, disobedient, atheistic, humanist city, has been humbled. But we will see it crop up again later in the Bible. As you read the Bible, you should remember this city. With all that said, for the conclusion of this episode, I want to dwell on something that becomes somewhat of a theme in the first books of the Bible. We've talked about God's order in the garden, 
his mandates, his prohibition, that was completely inverted in the account of the fall of mankind. In the post-fall world, we now see mankind with new qualities. We see curses upon the man and the woman. We see the spiritual and physical death penalty in full force. We see the corruption of sin that pollutes the people repeatedly in the story. We've seen the nakedness, murder, deceit, more blessings and curses, and finally, to cap it off, we see humanity trying to build a monument to themselves. Outside of the garden, mankind struggles. The struggle involves rejection of God's authority, rejection of God's provision, rejection of God's direction, and even rejection of God's existence. Yet, along the way, we see a few people who aren't perfect, but the Bible says that they, quote, walked with God. These people, like Abel, who was murdered by his brother for his righteous sacrifice, or Noah, who's described as righteous as he walked with God, they seemed to get it. They understood that it was simply walking with God and doing His will that offered rest from the confusion of identity crisis. It was being near to God that set things right in their lives. But these few people are the exception, not the rule. The rule is the city of Babylon, which fittingly in the original Hebrew means something we've seen over and over again in the Bible so far. Babylon means confusion. Next week, the plan of God is revealed further as we meet Abraham and we see that even when someone walks with God, it doesn't mean that they don't stumble. We will see this man of faith who is granted righteousness by God despite his many failings. We'll see with Abraham that God uses imperfect people to establish his perfect plan. Thanks for listening to The Bible Brief. Have you donated to the Bible Literacy Foundation? We'd love for you to partner with us so that we can expand our reach and grow. Your support means more people will have access to the life-changing story and message of the Bible. The easy way to donate is to click the link in the show notes to this episode. Alternatively, you can go to our website, BibleLiteracyFoundation.com and click donate. Thank you for making this show possible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2022.